despicable act. Lawmakers denounce political violence after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked in their home. Enough is enough is enough. As political danger grows, what more can be done to stop it? And midterm countdown. Republicans look to expand the map on Election Day. We're not just going to see a red wave. We're going to see a red tsunami. And Democrats put a former president on the campaign trail. Democracy is at stake in this election. What choice will voters make? I'll speak to the Republican running his party's efforts to retake the Senate, Rick Scott, next. And from Battleground, North Carolina, Democratic Senate candidate Sherry Beasley is ahead. Plus, GOP outreach. Democrats have always counted on Latino support. But is that changing? Our trip to two key states to track the GOP effort to win over Hispanic voters. It's right there for the taking. I'm Dana Bash in Washington, where the state of our union is counting the hours until the votes are counted. We are nine days out from the midterm elections and all the close races keep getting closer as Republicans grow more confident about their position and Democrats worry even about races they have not lost in years. This weekend, the man Democrats believe is their best messenger, former President Barack Obama, rallied voters in key battleground states trying to jolt turnout and counter Republican attacks over the economy as poll after poll shows voters' chief concern is inflation. But hanging over the political world this weekend is the shocking attack of the husband of the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. Last night, Pelosi said her husband, Paul, continues to improve after a man broke into their San Francisco home shouting, where is Nancy, and beat him with a hammer. A horrible attack that Pelosi said left her family, quote, heartbroken and traumatized, and prompted her fellow lawmakers to voice concern about their own safety and those of their family. Well, here with me now to talk about all of the latest with just, again, nine days to go until Election Day, Republican Senator Rick Scott, who is leading his party's effort to retake the Senate. Senator, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Uh, Let's start with the uh, attack on Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi. What is your reaction? It's disgusting. This, this, This violence is horrible. Um, you know, that's happened. We had a, a door knocker in Florida that was attacked. I mean, this stuff is, has to stop. One thing I did when I took over the NRC um, a year and a half ago is I went to the Federal Election Commission and said, could our candidates and our senators use their campaign dollars to pay for security? Because, as you know, House and Senate members don't have security, most of them outside of D.C. So but a lot of it is we got to we've got to say, let's let's have a we can have a heated conversation about the issues. But this violence has got to stop. This is this is horrible. And my heart goes out to Paul Pelosi. And I hope he has a full recovery. We've learned that the suspect's social media shows that he embraced conspiracy theories about the 2020 election in January 6th. I want you to listen to what President Biden said yesterday. It's one thing to condemn the violence. But you can't condemn the violence unless you condemn those people who continue to argue the election was not real, that it's being stolen, that all the all the malarkey that's being put out there to undermine democracy. Is he right? Should Republicans do more to reject conspiracy theories and dangerous rhetoric? I think what we have to do is, one, we have to condemn the violence and that we have to do everything we can to get people, make sure people feel comfortable about these elections. 
you know, we've got to we've got to do everything we can to get people comfortable that uh, this election in, in nine days is going to be free and fair, that people's votes are all going to be counted fairly. They're not going to be diluted. And so that's one thing I've tried to do at the NRSC is get people to make sure we're ready. I tell people, go to the go to the polls, vote. Go to the polls and be poll watchers to, so you can see that these elections are going to be fair. fair. And we've got to work on it every well, every cycle. Get it better every 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 cycle. To be fair, Senator, most of your Republican colleagues, even those in the Trump White House, said that the 2020 election was free and fair and that has not stopped the conspiracies from flying. So is it important for people from the top of your party, the former president on down, to tone down the rhetoric about the conspiracies that might instigate somebody who is unhinged, like the man who went into the Pelosi home. Then I think what's important is everybody do everything we can to make these elections fair. Um, we've got Hillary Clinton saying the 24 election is going to be stolen. We've got Stacey Abrams saying she didn't she didn't lose. You know, so my job is do everything I can to get people to feel comfortable that these elections are fair. And I'm telling people, get out to vote, go be a poll watcher. And when we have the opportunity, let's make our election laws safer. Let's make sure that you have voter ID. You don't have valid harvesting. You have monitored ballot box. That makes people feel more comfortable that the elections are going to be fair. OK. And just to be clear, I want to move on. But there is no evidence that they weren't fair in 2020. I do want to move on to something that's happening uh, happened in your home state of Florida, uh, which is uh, reporting that there were anti-Semitic displays around yesterday's Florida-Georgia football game in Jacksonville. There are photos on social media of people holding anti-Semitic signs along the highway. The message, Kanye is right, uh, about the Jews was apparently projected on the side of the stadium. What's your reaction? Makes you mad. You know, I became governor in January in 2011, and we were dealing with this at one of our universities. We've dealt with it. I've had I, I've dealt with it as governor um, and this anti-Semitism one. I, I mean, it's it's disgusting. It's wrong. We have to push back against it. Um, and I mean, we've got to understand we, we we are blessed. We live in a country where we need to accept people. We need to we can cherish our differences. But let's let's accept people and let's all live in a country that we we've get the, we've got the best opportunity in the world. So let's, let's let's quit dividing ourselves and quit attacking other people uh, and just talk about how we make this a better place. So I, this stuff is disgusting to me. I've never understood it. And it's disgusting to me. Well, let's talk about your midterm agenda. Democrats say that one of your proposals that which would sunset all federal legislation after five years jeopardizes Medicare and Social Security. You've previously said that those programs need to be preserved, reformed and protected. So just a simple yes or no. Do Republicans want to cut Medicare and or Social Security? Absolutely not. And, you know, the Democrats just cut two hundred eighty billion dollars. All Democrats in the Senate and House voted to cut two hundred eighty billion dollars out of Medicare just two, like two months ago. And then they want to say Republicans want to cut something. Democrats have done this. Senator, Joe Biden, when he was senator, said he wanted to cut Medicare and Social Security. I believe we got to preserve them and, and make sure we 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 keep them. What I want to do is make sure we live within our means and make sure we preserve those programs. People have paid into them. They believe in them. I believe in them. I'm going to fight like hell to make sure we preserve Medicare and Social Security. Just want to correct the record. The Democrats plan, which is now law, it didn't cut social, excuse me, didn't cut Medicare benefits. 
It allowed for negotiation for prescription drug prices, which would ultimately bring down the price and the cost for, for Medicare consumers. But I want to ask the next question, which is about raising okay, the eligibility. Can we just finish that, though? Sure. It cut, Dana, it cut $280 billion out of Medicare. That means we're going to have fewer life-saving drugs. It cut $280 billion out of, out of Medicare. They can say they, want, they did all that. Cut, they it cut, didn't cut $280 billion out of Medicare. It did not cut benefits. It will reduce life-saving drugs. It didn't. You could do that. billion dollars out of Medicare. Something's going to happen. Okay. All right. But Dad, I, I, come on. All right. I, I mean, I, I want to. We can debate that and, and for for a long time. But I want to focus on you and the Republicans and what you want to do right now. Do you support raising the eligibility age for Medicare and Social Security? No. Okay. Do you support cutting back on Medicare benefits or reducing Social Security payments in order to keep the program solvent? No, and I don't know one Republican that does. Okay. And I know Joe Biden proposed, you know, he believed in these things. He said it publicly when he was a U.S. senator. Let's talk about uh, another part of your plan, which calls for permanently extending the 2017 Trump tax cuts. Many economists say that could make inflation worse. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office says it would add almost $3 trillion to the deficit. So how is that fiscally responsible? Well, here, here's my experience. I cut tax and fees 100 times as governor of Florida, and my revenues grew, right? Revenues grew with the Trump tax cuts. They didn't go down. They grew with the Trump tax cuts. Inflation is caused by not living within our means, by having a government that spends more than it takes in, by, by causing a, regular, a regulatory environment that makes it difficult for people to produce foods, make it have a regulatory environment that causes gas prices to go up, have diesel prices to go up, and natural gas prices go up, that's what causes inflation. Inflation is not caused because you cut taxes. Government is not, government does not create the economy. Individuals create the economy. Businesses create the economy, not government. Well, if, okay, well, I, it, on the question of inflation, the Congressional Budget Office is the one that said that reviving the Trump tax cuts, extending them permanently, I should say, would add almost $3 trillion to the deficit. You think they're wrong? That's, a, that's assuming you don't grow the economy. I mean, I cut taxes 100 times and, and, and fees 100 times as governor, and our, our revenues grew because you start building the private sector. we got to make government smaller, the private sector bigger. That's what we have to do. This idea that government can build an economy is just a complete fallacy. and It's never worked anywhere. It doesn't, it's not worked. As we get bigger and bigger government, we get more and more inflation. I mean, it's very consistent. The election is just nine days away. You have been crisscrossing the country. Senator Chuck Schumer was caught on a hot mic. I know you probably saw this. He gave his midterm assessment. He's optimistic about Pennsylvania and Nevada. Not, uh, but he said he's going, the Democrats are going downhill, rather, in Georgia. So which battleground states do you think Republicans will win on Election Day? How many Senate seats will the GOP control next year? We're going to get 52 plus. Uh, Herschel Walker will win in Georgia. We're going to keep all 21 of ours. Um, Oz is going to win against Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Uh, Adam Laxalt will win in Nevada. But I think we have every reason to believe we can pick up with Blake Master in Arizona with Don Boldenk. I'll be going to uh, North Carolina, um, New Hampshire today. Um, I think Don Boldenk has every reason to believe he's going to win. But we've got shots in with Tiffany Smiley in Washington, Joe Day in Colorado, Leo Levy in Connecticut. 
We this is this is our year. The, the Democrats can't run on anything they've done. People don't like what they've done. They don't like high inflation. They don't like gas prices, food prices up. They don't like it. The public doesn't like an open border. They don't like they don't like high crime. And that's what the Democrats are known for. I mean, they've done all these things. Senator, Democrats did it. Senator they did it. They're gonna, they want to run away from it. We're almost out of time. Before we go, President Trump is going to campaign with your Florida colleague, uh, Senator Marco Rubio, in Miami ahead of Election Day. The rally notably will not feature your successor as Governor Ron DeSantis, who is also on the ballot this year. Should Governor DeSantis be at that rally with Donald Trump and Marco Rubio? Well, it's a choice everybody, everybody makes. I mean, I know President Trump is trying to make sure we get a majority back in the Senate. Uh, he's, he's spent, I think, $20 million in ads. He's doing rallies. He's helped us raise money. He's doing voter up contact. So I know he wants to help us win. I'm doing everything I can to help Republicans win all across the country. We've, we've canvassed. We've gone all over the country. I was with Ronna McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, the so last you're two okay weeks. So you're okay with Governor DeSantis the NRCC not being is doing there? the same thing. You're okay with Governor DeSantis not being there? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a choice he makes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Senator Rick Scott of Florida, thank you so much for joining me. Have a good day. Bye-bye. It's one party's chance at history in North Carolina. Democrats look to erase a 14-year losing streak by sending Sherry Beasley to the Senate, and she joins me next. Plus, are Democrats taking a big slice of their voters for granted? Well, we went out west to take a look at Republican outreach to Hispanic voters. That's coming up. Welcome back to State of the Union. Now we want to spotlight another close race that will help determine control of the Senate, North Carolina. That's where the former chief justice of the state's Supreme Court, Democrat Sherry Beasley, is competing for an open seat against Republican Congressman Ted Budd. North Carolina has not elected a Democratic senator in more than a decade, but Democrats, including former President Obama, who backs Beasley in a new ad, are hoping she can break that streak. Here with me now is North Carolina's Democratic Senate candidate, Sherry Beasley. Uh, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Uh, let's talk about what's happening on the ground there. Early voting is underway in North Carolina, as you know. A new poll shows inflation is the number one issue for North Carolina voters. You just heard Senator Rick Scott's attacks on your party uh, when it comes to inflation. Democrats here in Washington control the House, Senate and White House. Are you satisfied with how President Biden and Democrats in Washington are handling inflation? You know, Dana, I can certainly tell you, having traveled to all of our 100 counties in North Carolina, folks want to know that the Senate is going to lower costs. People are feeling everything from pain at the pump to the cost of prescription drugs and everything in between. And in the greatest country in the world, folks should not have to make choices around buying groceries or school supplies or high-priced medication. And Congress really can fix this. I mean, we know that the greatest factor really is the supply chain. And, and we know that in this country, we pay more for prescription drugs than any other country in the world. And Congress can fix that. We know that corporations are seeing 70-year record profits, historic profits, and using the cover of inflation to jack up prices on things we need. Congress can fix that. My opponent is Congressman Ted Budd, and he's not trying to fix it. He's helping it. In fact, he is taking thousands of dollars from big oil uh, to vote against lowering gas prices and taking thousands of dollars in corporate PAC money from Big Pharma to vote against lowering uh, prescription drug costs. 
Uh, we need a senator from North Carolina who's going to fight hard to lower costs for folks here in the state, and that's exactly what I'm committed to doing. Let's talk another issue that Democrats across the country are trying to uh, make a rallying cry, and that is abortion rights. Where you are in North Carolina, women can receive an abortion up to 20 weeks into pregnancy. Your sitting Democratic governor says he'll protect abortion rights. So do you think abortion might not be as big of a motivation for your supporters because their rights aren't immediately at risk in North Carolina? Well, you know, abortion is a real big issue and our fundamental freedoms. I mean, we're talking about who makes the decision. Is it a woman and her doctor or is it politicians up in Washington? Congressman Budd is leading the charge and aligned himself with the most extreme faction of his party on an absolute ban on abortion without exceptions for rape, incest or risk to a mother's health. And so for a woman who's sexually abused, it means that she's forced to carry the pregnancy to term. For a woman who has an ectopic pregnancy or septic uterus or miscarriage that her body won't release, it means that she's not able to get the life-saving treatment that she needs, which is an abortion, and it means that women will die. And as long as our freedoms are on the line, I'm going to fight, and I'm going to fight to make sure that Roe versus Wade becomes the law of the land. And we can, we can, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm prepared to fight to lower costs uh, and to fight uh, for our freedoms. And what we know is that there is no place in the exam room uh, between a woman and her doctor for Congressman Ted Budd or any other politician up, uh, politician up in Washington. Another poll last week showed the number two issue concerning voters is rising crime rates. Homicides and robberies are up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Assaults are up in Raleigh. The Southern State's Police Benevolent Association in your state supported you in 2014 and in 2020. Now they're supporting your opponent. And what they're saying is it's because they don't like the defund the police mo movement. Now, I know you don't support that, but is that message undermining Democrats like you right now? You know, I've been a judge for over two decades and Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of North Carolina. I have worked with law enforcement. I have held violent offenders accountable and I created the first human trafficking court in North Carolina. Uh, I don't support defunding the police. I know police officers need funding and I know they need funding to keep our communities safe and themselves safe. And I also know that we must invest in uh, community-based intervention programs to stop the cycle you, of violence. You don't support Ted it. Bud has a. You don't support that. I understand, but d some of your Democratic colleagues nationally do, and uh, Republicans have seized on that and used it as uh, sort of an attack against you. And it costs you. It appears a big endorsement in your state. So is that a problem for you, a, a Democrat uh, running in a place like North Carolina? Well, Ted Budd has been in Congress for six years, so we don't have to wonder about what he will do. And on four separate occasions, he has voted against funding for law enforcement, even to include tackling our opioid crisis, which is huge in North Carolina. Uh, I have worked with law enforcement. I'm very grateful to have been endorsed with sheriffs by sheriffs and other law enforcement officers in the state. And they're endorsing me because they know that we've worked uh, in tandem keeping our community safe. And the reality is Ted Budd and national Republicans are trying to frighten folks about uh, my record. Ted Budd certainly is because he cannot defend his own. They are spending millions of dollars against me to distort my judicial record. 
And it really does a disservice to folks in North Carolina. But the reality is they're the ones who are worried. They wouldn't be spending that kind of money if they didn't know we can win this race. The New York Times reports that some black Democrats uh, believe that you're not getting enough support and other black uh, women are not getting a support this cycle. Two black congresswomen, Alma Adams and Barbara Lee, say the national Democrats, again, are not doing enough. Do you think your party is helping black women like you and making your candidacy a priority this cycle? You know, I am very thankful. And I said early on in this race that this would be a a North Carolina-centered, people-powered campaign. We have done very well. There's a lot of energy and enthusiasm for our race. And certainly folks uh, nationally know how important North Carolina is. I'm grateful for where we are. We are doing amazingly well in this race. There's a lot of energy and excitement. We have nine days before Election Day. We're working hard. We're working hard for every single vote. And we're really feeling very hopeful about the outcome. Sherry Beasley, the Democratic candidate for Senate in the state of North Carolina, thank you so much. And I want to note, we did ask Ms. Beasley's opponent, the Republican Congressman Ted Budd, you heard a lot about just now, to join us. He declined. And just ahead, a frontline perspective, a Democrat who lost his primary battle tells us what he thinks will happen to his party on Election Day. I'm running to take back our streets. You can either work on keeping people scared or you can focus on keeping them safe. What these parents are talking about are not textbooks that will help children learn about themselves. Do you really think that books pose a greater danger to our kids than gun violence does? On inflation, Michael Bennett was right there. We have had an economy for 50 years that's benefited people at the very top like Joe Day. Welcome back to State of the Union. You saw their candidates in New York and Michigan and Colorado make their closing case to voters. And my panel joins me now. Uh, Congressman Levin, thank you for coming down from the great state of Michigan. Um, One of those uh, campaigns that we saw was the governor's race there. My understanding is that it's tightening and certainly the public polls are showing that. How, How do you think things are shaping up on the ground in one of the most important races in the nation? I think Gretchen Whitmer is going to win, uh, and it's tightening, but it's, it's, I'm not real worried about it because she's run a fantastic race, very grounded in what Michiganders care about, reducing the cost of living, fixing our infrastructure. We just realized in a poll that Michiganders still care about fixing the damn roads <laughs> as a big priority, and she's really been doing that. The orange barrels are everywhere, Dana. And uh, she's taking care of business and she's going to win real. So let's uh, expand our aperture a little bit. Uh, Scott Jennings, you are uh, close with Senator Mitch McConnell. You worked for him for a while. And I know that you're keeping keeping a close tabs on where the Senate stands right now. What are you hearing? Uh, People are very positive. Obviously, the public polling nationally has started blowing in the Republicans direction. Some of these Senate races, Pennsylvania, Georgia in particular, you could see some of the numbers this week. But people aren't too hung up on polls. And, you know, you try not to get irrationally exuberant yeah. at the end of an election. <laughs> uh, but what you are hung up on are the fundamentals. You know, the generic ballot nationally seems to be moving towards the Republicans. 30 percent of the country thinks we're off on the wrong track. Biden still persistently low. Those conditions exist in these Senate races. And it would just be historically unusual for the party in power to outrun uh, the president when he's in such poor shape. So positive vibes right now. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, Democrats, <laughs> we're, we are, I agree with the congressman, we're feeling good. I mean, there's a couple of things. Number one, we have certainly stopped what could have been a red wave. That is not to say we're going to win everything, but I think I don't think we're going to see a wave in the way that we saw, for example, in 2018, where we had a blue wave. You know, 57% or so of new registrants post-Dobbs are women. So a lot of it for us is going to be about turning out women. And a lot of these women, older women in particular, very concerned about Social Security and Medicare. And the Republicans do not have a good message on that. It's part of why you heard President Obama talking about that yesterday so forcefully uh, in Wisconsin. The other thing is Democrats made really strong investments in ground game. And so part of what we're looking at, I agree with Scott about the polls, it's about early vote. It's about mail ballot, mail and ballots. Where were they requested? Where are they coming back in? And so far, very strong. In most places, it looks like they're either going to reach or exceed 2018. I think it's very important to tread carefully when reading. And we should say you are a Republican pollster. Yes, I'm a Republican pollster. I I always encourage caution, regardless of who's up or down, in terms of interpreting Mm -hmm. early vote data and so on and so forth. Because the last election we had was in the middle of a pandemic where things were all Mm -hmm. up in the air. It's a new and evolving world. I do think that Republicans are feeling good and for good reason. You know, when I do a poll, we ask, who are you voting for, candidate A, candidate B, or are you undecided? And Undecided is not an option at the ballot box. Undecided, you could stay home, you could leave it blank, but these voters, a lot of them are going to make a choice. And what I'm seeing is that they're very concerned about the economy, they're very concerned about inflation, they're very concerned about an issue set that tends to favor Republicans. You are the only one at the table who was on the ballot this this year. You, unfortunately, you, you lost your primary, but you have just recently faced voters. What do you, what do you think about what Kristen said? Well, obviously, you know, historically, uh, an off-year election right after we have a new president is tough for the for the president's party. That said, I think Democrats in Michigan, certainly and around the country, in Congress, House and Senate, and in the state races, are getting the message that we have to talk about the cost of living. Republicans have no plan to reduce the cost. Were Democrats slow on that? We were slow. We were slow on the messaging. And we can't just talk about women having autonomy over their own bodies. That's super important. We have to talk about how we have acted to reduce the cost of living uh, on on student loans, on prescription drugs, on health care costs. And we will continue to do so. And the Republicans are counter- to reducing uh, costs for Americans on all those basic can I, can I just throw in here, as we continue the discussion, you mentioned former President Obama. I want to play what he said uh, last night in uh, Milwaukee as he's making his case to voters. Own the libs and getting Donald Trump's approval. That's their agenda. They're not interested in solving problems. They're interested in making you angry and then finding somebody to blame. And they're hoping that that'll distract you from the fact that they don't have any answers of their own. I have to say, I love seeing Barack Obama on the campaign trail in a midterm. From my perspective, he's been one of the most successful midterm Democrats of all time. You go back to 2010 and 2014, (laughs) amazing results when Barack Obama gets involved in a midterm. I think the fact that he's out there also tells you what we know about the election. Joe Biden can't be out there. So this is the only person they can put out. They have, Democrats have bet everything on abortion. Everything. And with nine days to go, it's Social Security, it's Medicare, it's fear, it's, and then finally it's, we made a huge mess. And what are you going to do to clean it up? 
it's too late. It's not going to work. Yeah. So those are great talking points, Scott. But a couple of <laughs> things. I do feel like the 2018 midterms when Barack Obama was out there went pretty well for Democrats. And we have seen president, uh, the president out there, the vice president. But here's the thing. A couple of things. No Democratic candidate is solely running on reproductive freedom. Let's be clear. And by the way, it is about freedom, which is part of the conversation about democracy. However, and Kristen knows this when it comes to polling, it's not just about one issue. It's about the intensity that people feel about a cluster of issues. Black voters, number one issue, protecting voting rights. Number two issue, white supremacist violence. But above jobs and wages, above inflation in terms of top concerns, right? Because that impacts your ability to participate in the economy. For women, many women can hold two things at one time. Yes, she may be worried about the economy, but let's not forget, and I'll say it because even though I know some have been criticized, reproductive freedom is an economic issue for women. The majority of people who have abortions in this country already have children, and they're worried about, can I afford to have more children? So they can hold, the voters are holding more than one issue. I don't think anybody knows exactly what's going to be the one thing that's going to drive people and how they vote. Well, I would, I would on agree that it's day. not just going to be one issue and that you can't just ask people. They're not going into a voting booth and saying, well, my one issue that I'm voting on is right. X. And so therefore, but I do think that voters in this election, they are feeling very insecure about things. They're feeling insecure economically. They're feeling insecure sort of physically. That's why you see issues like crime and immigration are also a big piece of the issue mix. Um, but it's also that sense that our country just isn't in a secure direction. When you ask people that right track, wrong track number, they feel like things are off and it's because they feel like we're divided. It's because they feel like we as a country just can't get anything done. They feel like institutions aren't working. And that manifests as well. Democrats being concerned about our elections going to get stolen. Republicans concerned about our elections going to get stolen. They have very different approaches or beliefs about what is driving that. But that sense of insecurity is what I think is the overall atmospheric in this election. And I do think at the end of the day, that's favoring Republicans. Well, that's Dan, I, the, I agree with that. And I'm not going to throw pollsters under the bus altogether. <laughs> but I am kind of done relying on polls to figure out what's going to happen. It's a good thing he's not <laughs> your client. Okay. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> no, no, really. There's a table. We, we all actually agree with that. Lead here, really. We, people are, this is a, a very difficult moment for our country. We've come through the worst pandemic in a century. Uh, we've got a war in you know, Ukraine, a horrifying war that Russia is prosecuting. And uh, we've got inflation at home, a lot of difficulties. People can hold one, two, three, four things. The American people are really smart. They can hold these things all together. And they are going to vote for Democrats because we have started to act to help them on their kitchen you, table. You have 10 seconds. <laughs> uh, I think if, if you're not talking about inflation and you haven't been talking about inflation, you ought to be super nervous, and that is virtually every Democrat in the country. Not true. No. Thank you all so much for that wonderful discussion. And up next, we're going to go out west and ask a big midterm question. Can Republicans convince Hispanic voters to turn away from the Democratic Party? I got an up-close look at how they're trying to do that. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. Hispanic voters have long voted blue, but Republicans made some inroads with Hispanic voters in the last election, and they're trying to expand on that with efforts across key states this midterm election. We traveled out west to see the GOP pitch firsthand, and we went to Nevada, also to Arizona, with an immigrant Mexican, excuse me, Mexican immigrant, 
who mixes Spanish and English on the trail. I'm Juan Siscomani. Hi. I'm running, running for U.S. Congress. Running in Arizona's 6th District, a key race in the battle for control of the U.S. House. I can answer any questions for you before you vote. Juan Siscomani was born in Mexico, immigrated here to Tucson, Arizona with his family at age 11. Nice to meet you. He's also a Republican. I'm someone that grew up here in in a very Democrat area in the state of Arizona as a first-generation Hispanic Republican. So that really, uh, you know, puts me in a different light, I think, of saying, well, how do you see the issues? I see them very uniquely. As a conservative, especially on economic issues he believes are driving voters this year. All voters. When people ask me, hey, what are the Hispanic issues we should be focusing on? I, I kind of, you know, chuckle a little bit and I say, well, there are no Hispanic issues. There are issues that impact everyone. I'm paying the same thing for gas, milk and eggs that the person next door is paying that they're not Hispanic. Thank you all for being here. Gracias por acompañarnos. To make that point, he invited local small business owners to his campaign office to discuss their challenges. It's affected us a lot, the economy. There are only 13 Hispanic Republicans now serving in the House. Siscomani is one of 33 Hispanic GOP candidates on the ballot this year, part of a concerted leadership effort to boost their ranks in the chamber. Do you feel comfortable with the way that leaders in your party have expressed themselves vis-a-vis the Hispanic community? Well, I can only control how I express myself with the Hispanic community, and and I'm very proud of the way that we've done it. They argue Democrats are taking Hispanic voters for granted. I think the Republican Party is recognizing that it's right there for the taking if the right message is there and the right messenger as well. And that's where candidates like myself come in. Helder Toasty is doing just that. I'm here with Vamos, which is an effort to get Latinos to actually go vote. Running a new program for Senate Republicans called Vamos. We walked with him through neighborhoods in Nevada as he searched for votes in growing Hispanic communities. We're just a few miles from the Vegas Strip. This, Mm -hmm. as far as I know, has historically been pretty blue. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, Democrats have gotten 80, 90 percent of the vote here. So the reason we're here is to get votes where we traditionally haven't shown up. He uses a special app micro-targeting potential voters. We've loaded in all of the different names of the voters that we're trying to talk to. This particular voter is a weak Republican, which means they're on the team. They don't always show up in the general election. Hi there. This GOP ground operation is in nine states with critical Senate races this year. The whole point of the program is to just talk to Hispanic voters, because when you're in a get-out-the-vote, phase, uh, these voters are the ones who get left behind. I haven't decided which party I'll go with. Maria Malgoza is exactly the kind of voter Republicans are trying to attract. Biden promised many things, but I feel like he hasn't delivered. And the other party, I don't know much about it. She said until now, neither Republicans nor Democrats actually asked for her vote. As El Primero? See, see, with my broken Spanish, I got the gist. Yeah, she's a Democrat, only voted Democrat, and now she's not sure. And now she's on the market. Hi, back in Tucson, Arizona. I'm Kirsten Hangel. I'm running for congressional district six. The Democrat running in the crucial House contest against Juan Siscomani rejects the idea that her party takes Hispanic voters for granted. Every single voter is important in this district. Uh, This is a diverse district. 
and uh, I certainly will not take anybody's vote for granted. Right. And thank you yeah. for Roe for making that a big oh, part yes. in your well, it is. message. It is. Kirsten Angle argues her GOP opponent is out of touch here because he applauded the reversal of Roe v. Wade. I'm there to fight on this issue to make sure that women are respected, that this is an issue that they can continue to make for themselves, with their family, with their doctors, with who they want to confide in. Jenny, nice to meet you, Jenny. It's an issue Siskamani encountered while courting voters, he says, Republicans don't engage with enough. Even if you don't vote for me, which would make me really sad, but if that <laughs> happens, uh, I still want to talk to you and get your thoughts and opinion and see what, what, you know, how you see things, because my job as representative will be to represent everyone. So. Make my uterus my body part to be with, whatever I want to do with it. Ivelisse DeFratis is a Latina proving Siskamani right. Issues among Hispanic voters are the same as everyone else. I consider myself pro-life and with exceptions, of course. So that, that's where I am. I don't think it should be your job to tell me what I can and can't do with my body as mm-hmm. a female. Siskamani did not win her vote. Que tenga buen día. Hasta luego. But both he and Republicans across the country trying to engage Hispanic voters argue the GOP mission is larger than one vote and one race. We show up now and we show up to these communities uh, while they're growing so that, you know, when they start voting and participating and putting up candidates, they can say, I'm a Republican and I'm voting for Republicans and, and they represent me and they show up. And up next, he's married to one of the most powerful women in the world, the first ever second gentleman on that and his candid advice for other men. It was a first, understandably overshadowed by another very important entry into the history books. In 2021, Doug Emhoff became the first ever second gentleman. He's also the first Jewish person in the role. I spoke to him about leaving his job to help support his wife and the message he hopes to get across to all men in my new CNN special, Being the Second Gentleman. I think there are a lot of men who intellectually want to support their female partners. And then when it gets to that point, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard on your ego. You say you have a healthy ego. Have there been moments like that? Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, you have to put your ego aside, though, and it's not about you. And I, I will be on, I'll be giving speeches, and one of the things I say is men need to support women. Don't just think you're being supportive. Don't just say you're being supportive. Be supportive. One, it's the right thing to do, and, and then men, okay, you need to actually do it. Don't just think you're doing it. And then the women in the audience start looking around mm-hmm. and smiling. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it's not what you expect, but it's the right thing to do. And if I can set an example doing it, I'm very grateful for that. You can watch the whole special Being the Second Gentleman on demand on CNN.com, CNN apps, and through your cable provider. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning with us. The news continues next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.